Hello and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders and in this fifth episode of the show I'm speaking with Scottish fiddler Sarah Jane Summers. Now, I've known Sarah Jane for a number of years. She's been living in Norway for about 10 years at this point, I think. Uh, we also play together occasionally in a project called Vinjefolk, so it was great to be able to speak with her again. As well as being a uh, traditional Scottish fiddler, she has managed to uh, sort of create her own musical universe with a strong influence from free improvisation. Um, she's one of those musicians that are able to maintain a strong personal voice throughout all of her work. Uh, this is something I've spoken about before on this show, but it's really something I believe to be very, very important for a musician. Now, in this conversation, we touch on a number of different interesting topics, like uh, musical identity, tradition versus innovation, how to approach improvisation as a traditional musician, and also how family life can impact your work as a musician. Uh, Sarah Jane shares generously of her own experiences here. Now, we had some issues with the audio in this episode. Sarah Jane had some occasional interference on her signal, but luckily she did also do a backup recording on her phone. So that's why you will sometimes hear a drop in quality when I switch to the backup recording. Um, I think it turned out alright in the end, but um, the moral is to (laughs) always do a backup, I guess. Now, that's it for the introduction. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Jane Summers. Okay, so I'm here with Sarah Jane Summers. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it's great to see you. Um, I mean, we're all just hiding in our caves these days, so uh, I find that this podcast has been a great uh, opportunity or excuse, rather, to, <laughs> to call people and talk to people. Yeah, it's so important. Um, if you're living alone, I think it's really, I think it's really tough. And um, we are super lucky that we uh, moved house last year. We bought a small holding together with my mother-in-law. So there are four of us here, Johanny, my husband, and uh, the baby, and uh, the mother-in-law who... Um, when Norway was at its most closed down, she was just, uh, she was, it was like having an in-house babysitter. It was amazing. <laughs> but uh, sadly, she's a, she works as a therapist. So she, um, she went back to work. Um, she was among the first to go back to work. So uh, we're on our own. But we've had a sense of community throughout this whole kind of closed down period, which we're really grateful for. Mm. And uh, and your your son is... is- like he's about what, about a year old at this point. Yeah, he's fourteen and a half months old, mm. and uh, yeah, the developments are going fast. And uh, yesterday's development was that he can now stand on the back of the sofa, which brings him more joy than it brings his mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my heart. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm really glad to have you here for the fifth episode of the podcast, um, because. Today's topic, um, well, we'll see what it ends up being. I have a tendency to go on all, out on all sorts of tangents. But um, uh, the idea is to talk about music and identity. Um, and I think you're a good example of a musician who have been able to uh, maintain your voice throughout all of these different projects that you're involved in. Mm. Um that is also something I aspire to in my own projects and my own work. So it would be really interesting to um, to get your perspective on these things. Yeah. But before we go into all of that, maybe you could quickly uh, introduce yourself and your musical background. Um, because, I mean, uh, you're from Scotland originally, but you've been living in Norway for about 10 years at this point. Yep. Almost 10 years now. Time flies. (laughs) So maybe you could say a little bit about what brought you to Norway in the first place? Yeah, um, people tend to move for one of three things, which is uh, what, um, what do they say? Love, job or studying. And I managed to combine two of those. I I moved because of uh, my, my husband and I also applied to the what do you call it the uh, 
the Norwegian Academy of Music um, exactly. in Oslo and um, and ended up doing a master's in Hardanger fiddle there in um, t- in traditional Norwegian music and also um, free improvisation on Hardanger fiddle. Um, but that's kind of go- jumping in at the middle. I'm, as you say, I'm from the north of Scotland. I'm from Inverness. And um, I was brought up with fiddle and yeah from the age of two I wanted to play the fiddle and um, eventually when I was nine my mom got me a fiddle and um, I went for lessons with um, an absolute legend Donald Riddle who um, he taught that he taught pretty much everyone in my area who plays the fiddle or who played the fiddle at that time and he was taught, actually, his fiddling by a relative of mine, Alexander Grant of Batten-Gorm. And um, so that was always a really important connection to me. When, when I very first turned up for my first lesson, Donald Riddle just, he, he couldn't believe that um, Sandy Batten, as we called him, Alexander Grant, he couldn't believe that a relative of his had uh, come for lessons. I'm not actually a direct relative of <clears throat> Alexander Grant Batten. I was a relative of his wife, but still the, the family connection was so important. And hmm. so this, uh, it was so important to Donald to be able to give this gift back to somebody in, in Sandy Batten's family. And, uh, and it always meant a lot to me. And Donald was just the most amazing teacher. He taught the whole tradition he um he taught local tunes primarily but not exclusively and um and so you would be driving along and and it would be like oh that's that tune that's that place is that that tune or he would the tunes would be about people about mm. the way that the way that someone would speak and then you would meet them and go oh my goodness that's amazing <laughs> he does speak <laughs> like like it's depicted in the tune and um, so it was really uh like this the social and um aspect the, the landscape aspect that just the, the whole sense of tradition being immersed right into it and then for me this uh, family connection as well so it's always been my first musical language there was uh, traditional music um, important in your community at that point was it like um, because you know how it is in Norway it's it's uh, it's not very visible in society outside of uh, of yeah, the community outside of, outside of specific areas where mm. it's very if you go to Bur then it's yeah well <laughs> it's that, very it's visible. visible that's true um, so is, yeah. is your place one of those places where like traditional music was important in the community. Well, yes and no. I'm from a farm just outside Inverness, and um, so Inverness was a town then. It had a market in the middle of town. Um, so t- every Tuesday, the streets would be lined with cattle and sheep floats. It's not like that anymore. It's become a city and mm. um, has actually been given city status now. So at that point, it was kind of, um, it was, I think, yeah, in the 90s, it became the fastest growing town in Europe. And uh, so that that shows that there was a huge influx of uh, of people and impulses. So, of course, there were the there were some people for whom tradition was really important and then others for whom it was absolutely not a part of their lives. And um, but then because it was important to my mother then I was brought up very much in the Gaelic community and uh, I used to have uh, a lady go to a lady who I called my Gaelic granny uh, <laughs> she was she wasn't a relative of mine but we would sit and talk talk Gaelic and drink tea and um and um so it was I was very much yes brought up in that community but then you could step outside of it and not notice it at all in, no as in a normal big town so mm. <laughs> that's that's uh in Venice, that's up where the 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 monster is isn't it yeah Loch Ness monster yeah I think absolutely I was <laughs> I did a road trip in in Scotland like 15 years ago uh, I think we went to Inverness the only thing I remember is the is the the Lousy museum they had by the the lake the lake there 
Well, it's funny you say that because that museum is actually really important to me. Ah, okay, not sorry, that sorry. museum. <laughs> no, uh, the the Loch Ness Monster Museum. I yeah. thought you were meaning Inverness Museum. Oh um, no, sorry, Inver no. Inverness. Yeah, yeah. I. You know yeah. what? I've yeah, never I, I was wondering why the, the Monster Museum would be so important for you. <laughs> yeah, I've never even been to that museum, so it's not important to me at all. I must admit, maybe I should fix that one day. Put it on the bucket list. <laughs> but the the Inverness Museum is really important to me because um, um, this relative of mine, Alexander Grant of Battengorm, um, he was uh, really famous in his day for making fishing rods. And he also was very um, explorative, could you say, you could say, um, in terms of looking at um, how to improve upon the Stradivarius uh -huh. as a design so he came up with quite a crazy um, instrument called the rondello and so the museum has a display about him and I think you can actually even hear me playing one of his fiddles on headphones when you're there oh, I'm oh. not sure if they still have that up but uh, so yeah anyway I misunderstood you no the Loch Ness I'll, Monster I'll, Museum I'll make sure to, re to read up on, on, on the local uh, culture before I before my next visit <laughs> Yes, but uh, did you uh, did you go on to study traditional music in Scotland? In no, or, or did you just uh, learn through the school of life? <laughs> yeah, I learned as I said from Donald Riddle, who actually he died when I was fifteen, and uh, so my regular lessons stopped really early. I ca I can't remember how early. I think I when I was about twelve or thirteen, my regular lessons with him became very irregular due to his ill health. And I played with the Highlands Just Being Real Society, which had been started in 1903 by Alexander Grant of Battengorm. And it, it stopped during the wars, pardon me, and then was restarted again by Donald Riddle. And so these were the ways that I learned. And um, then when I went to study I um, traditional music you couldn't study traditional music at university level when I was a student I was in my second year or third year maybe at university uh, by the time uh, they started the traditional music course at the, oh, really? what was what was then called the Royal Academy of Music and Drama now the <clears throat> Royal Conservatoire of Scotland hmm. and um, so it wasn't possible um, I'm not sure if I would have done the course anyway, because as you mentioned to begin with, I had this really strong identity and Donald Riddle was such an, an amazing teacher. I felt like I continu continued to learn from him way after his death because he had really instilled the sound and the the bowings and the the rhythms he'd really instilled a, a deep sense of um of sound in into me and i mm. was i became kind of protectionist uh, about that especially when he died um i might have been i don't know but i might have been less protectionist about it had he been young yeah and it's like you felt like you <clears throat> sorry had some kind of responsibility to, yes. to keep the music uh, alive as pure as possible yeah, yeah. I, I really did I felt a, a huge weight on my shoulders but, and so what what had then had started out as something you know this fa this deep family connection which was very inspiring after a, a while I think I began to feel perhaps a bit over responsible for it and um and because it, it became like my life goal to move back to Inverness and to continue the teaching that my relative had done and Donald Riddle had done and to restart the Highlands Just Being Real Society. So mm. it became like a, a life goal for me to to kind of live my life through their lives. Mm. And, um, and then, of course, life doesn't go according to plan <laughs> and I met my husband and he's he's Finnish but was living in Norway and he'd been brought up in Norway from the age of 13 and so yeah life went in in the direction of Norway which was a huge it had always been a huge pool anyway my my mother my parents had lived in Norway in the 60s they met in Norway in uh, Honningsvog okay. oh. <laughs> 
Oh, really? <laughs> of all places. And um, so my mother had gone on a dance course, a traditional dance course in Telemark. And hmm. she had met a wonderful Hardanger fiddle player, Halvor Lieslan. And he had a Hardanger fiddle for sale, just a cheap, beautiful fiddle. And my mother phoned me one day and said, Say, Jane, would you like a Hardanger fiddle? And I was like, Wow, are you kidding? Absolutely. Because through my parents' connection with Norway, I had been brought up with a love of, of Norway and Norwegian traditional music. Mm. And Ankari Bremnes. <laughs> She's amazing. And, uh, and so I, um, that's how I ended up with a Hardanger fiddle. And in it, this is a long-winded answer to your question, which I've lost track of now, sorry. <laughs> um, um, so I ended up getting a Hardanger fiddle and it was this really wonderful freeing thing for me because I wasn't... Living in Norway, I wasn't getting taught the tradition. I just had this instrument that I could play, but only in my own style. Yeah, so you basically, you basically got the instrument without any rules surrounding it. Yes. So you could yeah. kind of approach it in your own way, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And, mm. um, and I became very kind of painfully aware that, well, is this disrespectful to the tradition? Uh, which is incredible. I knew how amazing it was. Uh, but also just for me, it was really wonderful and uh, just fun and freeing. And then eventually when I met Johanny and he told me about this master's course at uh, the Academy in Oslo, then I, I, I was, okay, yes, I really want to, to learn about this instrument properly. Mm. Now, I had got so that was, some... That was your main instrument on, on the course, the Hardanger? That was basically my instrument on the course. I had just a, a small handful of lessons on, on the fiddle. And mm. uh, I don't know if that was a good decision or, or not, um, but it was, it was what I did. And I absolutely loved the course. I got... Um, Håkon Hergemu was my main teacher. Mm. And he was just, in, he's an incredible musician and a really strong traditionalist with a hugely open mind. And I also got lessons from other people, Jermin Larsson, who's obviously mm. a fiddle player, and uh, Niels Eklund. But the Håkon was the main influence for me. And... Um, yeah, it was just, uh, I would wake up each morning and, you know, before, before you've woken up properly, I'd think, what do I have to do today? Oh, I get to live my dream. <laughs> <laughs> so I would go and it was the first time in my life I had had nothing else to do but practice. And I didn't yeah. really know how to. Uh, so I had to learn how to practice uh, mm. because my music had always been something on the side that I did. And it was it was kind of part of my life and part of my identity and my whole being. So I uh, I played tunes all my life and learned technique through tunes rather than learning technique. <laughs> so didn't really notice that I was learning technique, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So it's been an interesting musical path and running but alongside. Sorry, you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I talk too much. <laughs> no, I had a feeling this this episode would be very easy on my part. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, sorry. <laughs> no, I was gonna say. Um, I mean, eventually you you finished the course and you kind of spent the last ten years or so establishing yourself as a very uh, visible voice on the Norwegian folk scene. Um, you and, and your husband, Johanny, you together mostly, but also as um, as a solo performer and, and other projects. Mm. Uh, well, and I think at, at this point, and, and you're super productive. I mean, you're putting out at least an album a year, sometimes even several albums every year. So it's really... It's been a bit crazy, I know. <laughs> it's really impressive. Well, it's interesting that I had wanted to have children for many years and, or a kid, and I ended up uh, specializing in miscarriage and um, it's not a good thing to specialize in. And um, 
So it took us eight years to get our wee boy. Excuse me, I'm talking too much. I need to grab a cup of tea. <laughs> and um, so I remember thinking that, well, gosh, if I had a kid, I would be so busy just simply getting out of the door in the morning and, you know, just even trying to have a shower or drink a hot cup of coffee. I would be, I had plenty, plenty friends who had children. I knew how incredibly busy they are. And mm. I just channeled as much energy as I could into what was positive in my life, which was music. And I wasn't able to be productive in terms of a child. Um, and so I just threw that energy, maybe subconsciously, into um, into being productive in other ways. And also my husband is... Uh, um, he has a, a studio. So then recording became cheap for me. And although I did pay him, but uh, <laughs> it became um, very accessible and he mixed th uh, the albums for me. So it was, um, yeah. it was you kind guys of a no-brainer. Obviously a great team. Um, yeah. And I'm also, I'm also very happy for you that you eventually managed to, to have your small family. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and now it's hard to get a shower and to drink a warm coffee. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can't have it all, can you? <laughs> no, and you'll you'll see that the production uh, on the album. <laughs> you, th you think there will definitely... be a slight drop off in the in the coming years? Absolutely, no <laughs> question about it. Uh, when he goes to nursery school, uh, hopefully, I'll be managed to be a bit more productive. <laughs> but it, it's tough. Yeah, uh, hats off to all those women who who manage it, or fathers as well. So, but uh, but you've definitely been been super busy all, all, all those years in Norway, and uh, I'd say at this point you probably played every festival there is in the folk scene. Um, was, there, was there? Was there? Uh, I was going to ask if you was was it hard getting into the Norwegian scene, coming as a? I mean, one thing is that you're uh, you're I don't know a foreigner <laughs> or what? Else? Mm. I mean. That's one thing, and you also your background was from a type of music that isn't really that popular in Norway when it comes to dance. It like Scottish and Irish music isn't isn't what you see the most in Norwegian folk festivals. Um, no, but that's my that's my, my that's my impression anyway. Maybe you have a different. Um... Oh, it's interesting. It's it's really interesting to see how. Sorry, others... just before I f just to finish my my thoughts, like I would maybe think that. The folk festivals in, say, Germany and and Denmark, maybe they would feature more Scottish and Irish music than the Norwegian and Swedish festivals. It seems to me that mm -hmm. Norwegian festivals have a higher higher uh, amount of Norwegian music. Um, that's that's my impression. Yes, I th I would I I haven't really thought extensively about it, but I would say that that you're 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 a hundred percent on the button and. Um, <clears throat> interestingly enough we haven't played all the festivals in Norway and considering there are so few then uh, mm. we've maybe played about half of them um, but we've maybe played the, yeah I'd, I, we've, we've probably played the more high the most high profile ones which uh, is amazing we're, we're, we're really lucky um, it's I don't know it, I've I think we've been really lucky. Like to be to begin with, I I had I already had a, an established profile in Scotland. Mm. So so when I moved to Norway, what happened was before I moved to to Norway, I was doing a lot of teaching, and um, and I realised that my pupils were ending up with a lot more, um, more receiving more teaching than I had ever had and I mm. just suddenly re just suddenly wanted to stop and reverse that so that I could be the pupil for once and um, so when I moved to Norway and became a, a student I threw myself into it wholeheartedly and so I took a, a two-year gap from being a performer and that ended up being more than like two and a half years because you're booking at least six months in advance. Mm. Um, so 
Um, so I had a profile in Scotland and then I moved country and I invested solely inwards and um, then I just did a few little gigs here and there like Rixen and playing at Columbia Egg in uh, Bergen um, they're, they're, they're great gigs um, so I just did a, a really small number of gigs and then afterwards um, thought oh help <laughs> what do I do now I don't have any gigs um, and I've been really lucky that I've had I've been really supported by the Norwegian scene mm. and um, for example I've been given opportunities to play at Falkalarum and uh, then you come to the attention of promoters and, and uh, record labels etc um so yeah but you're right uh, i i actually think that it's a lot easier to play irish music in norway than um scottish music because um that depends no, on the kind of irish music you play i think yeah but i think also everybody has heard of irish music or so think when, think they've heard of it Yes, I completely agree with that. But they um, at, at least have some kind of concept of it. They know it exists. Whereas when I introduce myself to people and say, hi, I'm Sarah Jane, I I, pl- I play Scottish music, they say, oh, right, so you play Irish music. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> and, it's kind and of off- the, 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 the little brother of Irish music in oh. Norway. Yeah, and... Uh, and so even when I send off my biog to festivals, um, I have to say this has never happened in Norway. Um, but in other countries, Finland, Germany, it's happened that you you see suddenly see the final printed version. It says, uh, Sir Jane and, and Johanny play blah, 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 Scottish music. And then, <laughs> and then I, I remember once somebody had in, inserted and Irish jigs. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so, um, I mean, they they know their market and they know how to promote a concert. So I respect that they're. I respect why they do it, but it's not. It's not very helpful when you when I'm actually I don't play any Irish jigs. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like uh, following your releases since you came to Norway, very few of them are strictly Scottish traditional. Uh, music or a lot of yeah. them is like uh, original material that is i suppose inspired by scottish music but also other elements um can you say something about that journey is that did that all come natural to you or was was there at any point some any kind of like conscious decision i i need to bring more elements into my music or uh, what was the, the process behind all that yeah no um my, I basically, when it comes to music, I try not to think. I try not to let my my brain get involved in the process because I think that you can always hear the brain, the mind, the thought process. Mm. I, I want to try and uh, be as deeply me as possible. And... Um, so I think um, it makes sense that my music, I mean, a lot of what I have put out is is deeply traditional, um, but maybe on on each album, there hasn't been an album that's, there's only one that's been almost exclusively traditional music. Yeah, you did a solo, um, solo album with the yeah, traditional tunes, didn't you? Yeah, solo. And I... I actually got funding for that, um, which was the first time I got any funding from Norway, many years ago, many <laughs> years before the album came out. And because of the miscarriages, I was in such a raw space and struggling so much that I just couldn't consider recording a solo album. And um, so that album ended up being very delayed and luckily they were very understanding with me. Um, and, um, it ended up being, it was, it's called solo ended up, it was all completely solo. It ended up being, basically, I just wanted to do all the traditional music that I had no other output outlet for because it sounds best completely solo. Mm. Um, 
So, and on every other album that I've done, it's been, um, yeah, I mean, even a solo, it's, it's funny, I don't sit and analyse my music, so I'm not giving a very cohesive answer to your question. But even on solo, I, um, there are a couple of tracks where I take take the pieces, deep, deeply traditional pieces, old, old pieces, and I take them into a much more contemporary um, zone with the improvised, uh, structured improvised sections. Um, and then with the stuff that I do with Johanny, uh, well, he's not Scottish. He's uh, he's Finnish. He has his own musical background, and and he's he's also coming from outside folk music. Uh, yeah, originally as a as a musician. Yeah, so my our first album together was a project that I wanted to do, which was the music from my home area in a traditional way. And as we were, so you can hear this process in the album that um, that there are there's sets of straight tunes played totally traditionally, and Johanny is acting as an accompanist. And then there are other pieces where um, we discovered that, oh, gosh, we actually have our own sound and style. And I guess because we were a couple, it was natural for us to converse in our through our music and our arrangements to be equal rather than to be melody and accompanist. And um, yeah. I never wanted to be the leader in my relationship I Mm. wanted so um once we discovered that oh we have this sound and it felt very real to us as a couple then uh then I became really conscious that I I would like us to play more and and uh just allow it to be what it can become to become what it can be um so that you honey can become much more of a, an equal person and have his voice mm. come to the fore. No, so I, I feel I feel like sorry, but I feel like that is usually how the best musical projects come to be. Like when kind of the, what's it saying when the when when the the result is greater than the sum of both parts. Ah, I don't know. Like yeah. like you know when two people or several people come together and they create something that no one could have done on their own. Um, yeah, that's that's that, that's, that's always, always, always what I'm striving for in my musical projects, um, but I mean, like, bands so hard, so so difficult. <laughs> well, it's really difficult when you've got uh, lots of people, especially if children, families, distance, if all of that becomes involved, pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um. So for us, we, it's it's a small unit we we live together that actually probably means that we are less organized about arranging rehearsals um uh, but um yeah we we definitely have we communicate perhaps best through music and um so we've we also were very lucky we got um, we used to play a lot of school concerts with Rikskonsertene um, which it's, is like a um, concert organizer in Norway who sends musicians out to schools to everywhere schools. in Norway like everything from small islands with four children to like the big cities yeah and sadly it doesn't exist anymore um and when they stopped existing then we stopped playing school concerts, sadly. But these were a wonderful way for us. You know, you, if you you're playing two or three concerts every day, and to a, to a, an an appreciative audience that can occasionally be quite a handful. And uh, so <laughs> we managed to we we were so lucky to get that opportunity and be performing lots and lots and lots, and just really hone what we were doing to to a fun but challenging audience (laughs) (laughs) i loved those concerts (laughs) at like half eight in the morning yeah if you can do it at half past eight in the morning you can definitely do it at half eight in the evening (laughs) so i noticed that your music has taken kind of a turn towards more improvised and contemporary sounding uh music lately 
is there any musicians or something in particular that have inspired you to go in this direction or is this also just a natural process in lack of better words yeah um everything i do is a natural process actually <laughs> um i was brought up playing the piano and uh, so that was really my first instrument and just because of having access to one and um, I got very few lessons uh, so I was essentially self-taught but I developed a real love of 20th century um, in particular Russian composers and so I um, I played a lot of contemporary music on the piano and I had this secret goal, um, which was to mix my deep tradition with somehow my love of contemporary classical music and, um, but to do it on the fiddle. And Mm. I remember admitting this with with my head coyly just looking down admitting it to a friend when I was uh, about 17 18 and I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever said and uh, it's funny because you actually have to really listen to what you what you say your dreams are especially the Mm. crazy ones um because that's where I am now um so now what I've been what I've done so far is uh, traditional albums or tradition based albums and then it's maybe quite far out I don't know it depends upon your your perspective um <laughs> so improvised or or yeah based upon improvisation compositions based upon improvisation so um that that started um, Johanny had always said to me, gosh, you you have to record an album of this stuff. Just working with texture uh, and sound in and of itself without melody or, or rhythm, um, sometimes with rhythm. And so he was saying to me, without harmony as well, he was saying, yeah, you really need to record an album of this. And I never took him seriously for many years. And then... Mm. I uh, applied for funding, which I was in the habit of doing, but I would always forget that I'd put in the applications because I never got anything. And (laughs) I I know the feeling. (laughs) But you have to, I had this principle that you have to build up your, your rejections in life. And uh, it's, it, it was kind of like a game. I'm, I'm applying in order to be rejected. And so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here comes another rejection. Blah, blah. And, uh, but funnily enough, one of them came up positive, which was a huge shock. And it was to go to Montreal uh, for a couple of weeks and um, basically explore the, the amazing improvisation scene that they have there, which is kind of ironic because um, not Oslo is viewed as um, having an amazing improvisation scene, which it does. Uh, so we went to Montreal and uh, coincidentally, I actually had a gig there at the same time. Uh, so we went for three weeks and I, I took you honey with me and we went to improvisation concert after improvisation concert. And um, when you go to these kinds of concerts, you hear, quite frankly, a whole load of just, yeah, Blah blah. <laughs> well, it's, that... it's 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 a it's a very hard musical genre, I'd say. Like, uh, yeah, I'm not so... very into it myself, but like I've been on some free improvised concerts who've been like some of the best concerts I've ever been to, and exactly. I've been on quite a few who is just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I I don't want to sound rude, but 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 if I just um, be honest, we heard a lot of stuff that was like. Yeah, you know, I can go home and think about something else. And um and I also we we also heard some stuff that was actually just probably the most amazing stuff I'll ever hear in my life in that genre. Mm. And uh, there's an old man um 
who's now just an absolute hero of me. It's a, a young couple that had an incredible way of communicating via their styles, um, their genre. So I was incredibly inspired. And um, and so what it did was give me a very clear understanding of where my where I sat in in the in the grander hmm. picture, bigger picture. And I realized that, okay, actually, I do have something to say and uh, like something very genuine that is very deep. And uh, so then when we came home, uh, it was our wedding anniversary and Johanny had a studio in town and we were just kicking around town trying to celebrate our anniversary, but a bit aimlessly. And Johanny said, oh, your viola's sitting in the studio. Shall we just go and hit record and you play? And uh, so I, we did that and we ended up doing that every day for a couple of weeks. Huh. And uh, then, uh, so it was just sit and improvise. And I would ask Johanny, okay, where, where should the starting point be now? So he was very much a producer. And... Um, and but you so were working totally outside the context of a tune of any kind. It was just a blank oh, piece of paper every morning, like? Yeah, completely. Um, definitely not morning. <laughs> 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 I'm a musician. <laughs> and, and, uh, so, yeah, completely. Like, he would say to me, well, why don't you use collegno as the starting point? So turn the bow over and and play with the wood of the bow and just see where it goes why why don't you just take um x y and z and um so the my traditional voice in the first album comes through extremely strongly because as you say it's about identity and that is my voice it is who i am to pardon me to a huge degree um Mm. so i would start off improvising then in some it would it would go into quite a gallic sounding melody or in others, then I remember one, I, I took the rhythm of a reel or in another, I took the rhythm of a jig, but it's uh, just playing shapes up and down the fingerboard. In another, I took the concept of um, ornamentation and tried to stick to ornamentation only, but ended up, that's the one that kind of morphed into a melody. Uh, but that was natural. And my second album in that genre, Colopsia, um, I think I had developed very much in th- within that genre. So it's, uh, I, th- I feel that it's more cohesive. But, but did, you, um, did, you, did you ever find it intimidating to step outside the, the, the realm of just playing tunes? I just, I know that many traditional mus- musicians who are brought up in the tradition of, or a certain traditional music tradition, uh, they can. They're often comfortable doing the improvisation that is kind of um, used in that tradition. Things like varying the tune, um, varying the, the different types of ornaments, things like that. But when it comes to 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 actually improvise, uh, I see many people. It's kind of sometimes like uh, watching classical musicians being <laughs> told that they have to play something without their sheet music. Like they just freeze up mm. and th- this is not. Uh, who I am and I can't do this. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. get that from a lot of folk musicians as well. Uh, actually, I'm kind of astonished by how many folk fiddlers in Norway who can't just play along to a simple song. Um, mm. Not that they have to, but like um, just from um, um, from a musician coming in from the outside. Uh, mm-hmm. It just seems like there's a bit of fear to to venture outside this little thing that they know so well that may- maybe that's part of the problem. Like when you know something this well, it's kind of hard to to start doing something you don't really know. So the barrier becomes, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? Well, I I've, I I have a huge understanding for, for that because um, obviously when I moved to Norway, then I uh, moved to a country where they speak Norwegian and, <laughs> uh, and, I was very capable at communicating in English. <laughs> oh, that's and a good, good parallel, maybe. <laughs> the, yeah, then I started to feel more stupid than ever. I felt if I would look at three-year-olds and be in awe of their ability to communicate in Norwegian. Mm. 
and um now i'm i'm quite confident about just blasting in and uh just accepting okay my identity is i am scottish i'm a native english speaker um i um i yes i learned norwegian in my mid 30s i'm still learning yes <laughs> and i have had to become at one with how awkward that makes me feel Mm. And if I really like somebody, it's easy. And if I feel a little bit awkward or shy, then I find it really difficult still. But I mean, so, I can totally, I can totally identify with that because I'm a person who I don't, I don't like to do things that I that I'm not good at. Uh, yeah. And and like when you start doing something you haven't done before, you obviously you won't be any good at it. So I can see how there's a barrier there. Uh, but, yeah. but but I mean, for you, you obviously. Or was was there ever a problem like for you going into more and more improvised music? Did you feel like I'm on like shaky ground here, or or was it all just uh, just a natural exploration of of music for you? I think it was actually just a necessary releasing of of what was sitting inside already, and um, I've mentioned these miscarriages several times now. Um, they had a huge impact on me. Of course, the they are the most. Uh, a miscarriage is extremely painful, and uh, they come in all shapes and sizes. Some are easier than others in the actual moment, but the oh my god, like ah, there are no words to describe the pain that you go through, and and it it's not something that's over in five minutes. It's. <laughs> So it, these are huge experiences, and that's like physical and emotional. Mm. The emotions are are huge. You feel like you're a failure as a woman, and uh, I'm not saying you, I. Um, other people might feel differently, um, but to go through all that for so many years and so many times, and see the harrowing effect on your partner, etc. Um, it made me just so painfully aware that music sometimes, sometimes tradition for me was not enough to convey the really raw, deep emotions that were going on. I felt ripped to shreds and to try and express that within the context of a melody, in the context of four fours you've got rhythm harmony melody you have structures there to try and express something that is completely structureless in fact it's the breaking down of a structure and you're living in a in a constant cycle of life and death and grief mm. it's the most immense thing and uh, so it just became very natural for me that this would be expressed through my music but it wasn't possible in uh, the way that I had brought been brought up playing music, and that's um, that's super powerful, and that that you're able to like use music as a way to express all these horrible feelings, uh, and like this is a tricky thing to talk about, but it's it's fascinating how music can be a voice to express things that we can't really express with words. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think it, it, to get back to your question, I think <laughs> it was uh, it was very natural to I had been improvising all my life. I didn't really realize because I guess I had thought that improvisation was improvisation in terms of um within a jazz standard and you have a chord structure and you should be improvising within those that set of rules mm. i hadn't really well, realized mean, improvisation can mean so many different things that it's almost not very useful using the word to describe like it doesn't really say much about the music you're playing when you're saying you play improvised music mm. because as you're saying like improvisation can be done within the context of a certain style and mm. and I would almost argue that like even free improvised music is kind of a style in itself. Of course, I would <laughs> say so. Yeah, very much. And um, so yeah, 
and I, I don't even know how I would describe my my albums of improvised music because uh, the improvisations, they are quite... Uh, even though they might be fully improvised, there's there's a I guess all 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 good improvisations have a sense of um, of structure to them in some way. Um, mm. So um, and you in some of them you can really hear though. Gosh, she's a traditional player, and in others you can't hear it at all. So it's interesting, mm. but I think that that reflects my identity. This is what you spoke about at the beginning. Mm. Um, my identity, my first musical voice on the fiddle is um, is traditional music. But I also am that classical player on the piano who, oh, please don't take my music away. <laughs> uh, so I identify with with these things. And, and um, having played in particular contemporary music on the piano, you know, it's it's all there inside me. The the music that I listen to most for fun is electronic music. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 all there, and um, and I I think I think that quite you can hear the electronic impulses quite strongly in some of my improvisations, where I'm focusing more on texture mm. than uh, than on yeah, anything I, else. I, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. So I think it's it's all about identity, but identity is incredibly complex and uh, sure. multifaceted. Um, so I I am all of these things, and I I I, th- I think I hope my future involves actually combining these uh, imp- these influences more, to actually combining them. Mm. Um, so I have done some concerts where it's just where it flows from improvisation into into a tune back into improvisation. So just for a full half hour, 40 minutes, be, pardon me, flowing between the two styles. And I think they really complement each other. Mm. Um, I suppose the, the biggest challenge can be like knowing whether you should aim for bookings at free music festivals or folk music festivals yeah <laughs> I, uh, it's interesting i think as soon as you mention improvisation especially mm. in scotland uh the vast majority of a uh, folk music audience in my experience will be quite like okay uh, i'm going to go to something else then yeah um so it's a bit of a danger zone mm. to to enter <laughs> it, it feels like this is the only area where like labeling music actually makes sense or have or have there's actually a reason for like calling music a certain thing uh, mm. when it comes to like uh kind of communicating to a festival or to a potential concert goer what it is that he or she will experience uh it's Ex- it's exactly. really tricky actually and these people are so inundated with emails from people who want to perform at their festival that you have to have your your tagline exactly um, and they're not going to sit and read three paragraphs and and maybe they don't have the time to sit and watch everybody's videos so it's, no, it's you have really to, you have to hard to sum it up in in a sentence or two like what you're all about um, uh, it's really hard <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it should be something original <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, but interestingly enough, actually, I I've done the translation for um for one of the festivals in. Oh yeah, for Folkelarm. Yeah. No, yeah. The, the the showcase festival for folk music in Oslo. Yeah, I've um, translated people's uh, biogs into English, and it's fascinating. As a, it's been a really great insight for I'm me. I'm guessing you. I'm guessing you. You're seeing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and. Um, and it's made me very aware of, gosh, do I use these words and how do I? It's you just become they're strongly so rooted aware. in tradition, but they're not afraid to discover <laughs> new areas of music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Did you just did you just read my bio? <laughs> it's really hard. It's hard to be. Uh, yeah, it's hard to talk about mu- music. It is. 
And uh, of course, the, the promoter, it's not just that we are trying to sell our product to the promoter. The pro- promo- promoter needs to see that he can further sell it easily to his audience. Hmm. Um, so it's really, it's really complex. And uh, <laughs> <For sure>. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, see, we've been talking for over an hour now, so I think we should probably... Uh, wrap wrap it up somehow but uh yes. it's been great having you on and and thanks for sharing so much about your music and your uh, creative process yeah um, gosh sorry for talking so much <laughs> no no it's it's great i love it <laughs> yeah thanks thanks so much for having me and uh, uh good luck with all the other ones i've i've listened to them all they're, oh, you they're, have? they're really fascinating I've, okay i really well, love them i feel like so. i'm i'm learning while i'm doing this um yeah, but also like every conversation is is a new one as well. So um. it's so hard. It's such a skill to be the interviewer, <laughs> if that's the right word. Yeah. Yeah, I actually aim for this to be more of a conversation than than an interview. Uh, yes. And and I think we succeeded. This is usually how our conversations play out, anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what we haven't mentioned is that we play in the same band, and I'm looking forward to playing again. Yeah, let let's hope there will be festivals. Oh, at, I know. And, and gigs at some point. Yeah. Do, do you have any plans for like the immediate uh, future? Or I, I'm guessing you're fully occupied with your family at this point. Well, actually. Um, I do a lot of composition and mm. I, um, at during this lockdown, I've been trying in my very, um, small amounts of spare time to do, um, arrange a full concert's worth of music to play with, um, Uslo Kammerorchester. So like Which also chamber ch- ch- orchestra, orchestra, or how, what's the English? Or- You're the English speaker. Uh, orchestra. Orchestra. <laughs> Um, and um, so I've been doing that and I've also been com- um, commissioned by someone to write a piece for solo cello, which is great. And then I also have a commission to write a piece for fiddle and hardanger fiddle and string quartet. So I'm kind of up to my eyes. Oh, in so you're trying keeping busy. To... Yeah, but I'm I'm really struggling. I've had to put the latter, <laughs> the string quartet piece on hold until the kid goes to Barnahaga to um, nursery school. So... Oh, hopefully I'll get more time then. <laughs> well, so that will, hap- that, that will happen sooner than you think, I think. I know. But uh, yeah, how about you? You uh, must be keeping busy doing this. Yeah, well, I mean, as you as you know, I had a broken arm here for the first month of the, <gasps> yeah. of the lockdown. So I was not very busy then. <laughs> Are you okay? Is it okay? Yeah, it's perfectly healed up now. So obviously I was a bit concerned because wow. you... I'm a mus- like I, I realized talking about identity, how much of my identity is actually bound up to me being a musician. So yes. when I couldn't play, like, who am I even? Like, do I have friends who aren't musicians? Like, I felt like totally uh, mm. disconnected from my world. And and luckily, I came back after just a month and a half. But I can't imagine what it would be like to suffer some sort of injury, which which would make me unable to play. And you have uh, full in- flexibility. Mm. That's what do you incredible. mean? Full flexibility. Like, oh yeah, yeah, like you can yeah, use cost, your, your arm. Luckily, the fracture was not in the wrist, but in in the upper arm. So, so that was that was a good thing. Like if it had been the wrist, maybe things would have been different. It's terrifying. It, it really, it's, it's very scary. Yeah. Oh well, I'm so happy to hear that you're okay. <laughs> so I usually ask people uh, on the show if there if you have any um, if people want to learn more about you and your music if they aren't familiar with with it already where can they easiest uh, discover your music? Yeah, probably my website which is uh, sarah-jane-summers.com or then just go to yeah, just just google my name. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube, Spotify, whatever. It's Internet. it's there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah okay and if they're if they're interested thank you for being interested so <laughs> yep yeah lovely to speak to you Anders the same great say hello yep. to uh, Johanny and Alistair will do okay take care bye bye now take care okay so thanks for listening to this fifth episode of the show um, I'm really happy for all the positive feedback that the show has received so far 
Uh, it's really a great help to uh, to boost my motivation for creating these episodes. So if you have opinions on the show, positive or negative, please don't hesitate to get in touch. I really appreciate it. Um, you can send me an email at thefolkmusicpodcast at gmail.com or you can get in touch via the Instagram account or the Facebook page. If you want to receive weekly updates about the show, you can sign up for the email newsletter. You'll find information about that on the website, thefolkmusicpodcast.com. There you'll also find some extra information about the different episodes with some uh, um, links to various resources, um, things like that. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to the end, and I'll see you next week for another episode of the Folk Music Podcast.